to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're continuing this new Bible study series we started last week. It's going to last about three months from the book of Philippians. And the series title is Philippians, Finding Joy in a Negative World. Just a real quick overview introduction. I gave most of it last week, so I won't take as much time. This is one of Paul's letters. It's the most positive of Paul's letters. And not just positive in content, but I have a feeling the most positive for Paul. Most of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to people he loved dearly because they were to churches that he had founded. But most of the time he's writing them because there's a problem. Because most of the time, false teachers have come into that church after he left and messed things up. And in some cases, turned the people against him. And he's had to set those things right. That's especially true of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, Galatians, it wasn't so much they turned against him. Oh, there's a little bit of that, but just some false doctrine had crept in. But Philippians has none of that. Philippians is just a very positive letter. Okay, and it's got some great truths in it. The thing that's interesting, though, is the most joy-filled letter, but it's not just because Paul's not having any trouble with these people or they're on track, but what's interesting about it is the fact that he's writing this while he's in prison, but he's expressing how much joy he's experiencing and how much joy they can experience no matter what they're going through, and that's one of the main themes of several that I hope we can learn as we go through this and why we subtitled it Finding Joy in a Negative World. Tonight, the title of our lesson is Thankful Prayer for Others. Thankful Prayer for Others. And we're going to be looking in a moment at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So, as we think about prayer, what kinds of things do we pray for other people? For healing. Okay, what else? Salvation. Salvation. What else? Protection. Protection. God's peace and purpose. Wisdom. Wisdom. Okay. Lots of, I mean, we just got done praying for a whole bunch of needs, right? Most often when we think of prayer for other people, and to be honest, probably for ourselves, we think of needs, don't we? All right. We think of something's not right. We need something. We want something. And that's not bad. In fact, God tells us he wants to be our source, our primary first source. Not that we can't use other things, not that we can't use doctors and whatever. Okay. And he works through his people to meet needs and to encourage and strengthen all that. But God wants us to come to him first. All right. But the thing is, there's so much more than just praying for needs. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight, because that's what we're going to see in Paul's example in this letter, all right? And we're looking at praying things for other people because that's what Paul's talking about, his prayers for these people. But I just want to tell you now, and I'll remind you as we go through, and probably by the time we get to the end, that these are great things to apply to our own lives and our own prayer lives and to when we pray for ourselves, okay? All right, so we find that Philippians is a typical, at least the way it's structured, is like a typical letter of that day. We mentioned that a little bit last week when we looked at the first two verses. Uh, a typical letter of that day would start off with who's sending the letter. You know, when we, 
for those people that still write letters, if you remember writing letters, we usually sign our names at the end, you know. I'm the one that sent it, and it's me, you know, but they didn't do it. They put their name at the front, which actually makes a lot more sense. And then usually the second thing was who they're writing to, and Paul did that. He says, I'm Paul, Timothy's with me, I'm writing all the saints and overseers and deacons and all these people at Philippi, all right? And then there's usually a greeting, and he gave them a greeting. He greeted them with grace and peace, which was really typical of Paul. Now, in a typical letter, after that would follow... Um, some kind of thanksgiving, a, a positive expression of what they liked about the person they were writing to or the people they were writing to, and then also some kind of a blessing or, in Paul's case, a prayer. And that's really the format of almost every single one of Paul's letters except for Galatians. Trivia question. So if you don't know the answer, don't worry about it. Why do most Bible scholars believe that Paul did not start Galatians the same way with something he's thankful for and a prayer and a blessing over the Galatians? Anybody know? Like I said, it's a trivia question. Because he was frustrated with them. Yeah, you said upset. So, yes, to a degree. But not because they were hurting him, but because they had so quickly left the truth. For false doctrine. And it's like, mayday, mayday, forget all the normal stuff. i got to get this corrected. All right, but that's Galatians. But in Philippians, we see after the standard introduction, he starts with this thanksgiving and prayer. And what's really interesting is that he doesn't have just some kind of standard thanksgiving prayer that he gives to all the churches, doesn't matter who. He always crafts it to the people he's writing to. And usually he's thankful for and praying about the things that he's going to write them about in the rest of the letter. So as we read it tonight, you'll see that there are themes and such that are in here that he's going to come back to as we continue to study this letter into the future. So let's read the whole thing through. Our text for tonight, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all For you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So just hearing Paul's thanksgiving... And prayer for the Philippians, how would you describe Paul's relationship with the Philippians? Great. great. Yeah, I mean, I kind of gave it away, didn't I, in the introduction? <laughs> I didn't actually plan it. Yeah, he's got a great relationship with them. Things are good. All right? There's not, pro- not any problems, and he's so thankful for all this going. Although I have to say this about Paul, and this is a really good example for us. Even with the churches that there are problems, okay, um, except for Galatians, he did have a time of thanksgiving and prayer for them. And, and it's a good example that even if you're having struggles or problems with somebody or whatever, there's still things you can be thankful for. You know, And there's definitely things you can be praying about, and not just the negative, but the positive. All right? 
By the way, if you want to really learn how to pray and pray biblically and not just kind of be stuck in a rut, study Paul's prayers, okay? it's a lot of stuff that can be learned from there. All right, so we're going to be talking about this topic, thankful prayer for others, but we're going to find in this not only how we can better pray for people and that kind of stuff, but we're going to be talking a little bit about our attitude toward other people and things that we can do to help our relationships with others be stronger and better in the Lord, okay? And that kind of leads to the way I've structured these three main thoughts we're going to look at tonight, okay? The first one is this, is think of others thankfully. Think of others thankfully. Paul, first of all, talks about his thinking process. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance. Okay? Whereas every time I think about you, I'm so thankful. All right? And that leads into prayer, which he mentions prayer in four, but then he drops the idea of prayer until he gets to the end of our passage tonight. But he's talking about how he is thinking of them. And he mentions you all. Now, that's not because Paul was a southerner. Although he did grow up in Tarsus, which is in southern Asia Minor, okay? But he mentions you all nine times in this letter because he's all-inclusive of all the people in the church, all right? And he's trying to emphasize togetherness. He's trying to emphasize unity. He's trying to emphasize we're all in this together. We all love one another. We're all working together, all right? But we find here that Paul often thought about others and not just himself, And not just his circumstances. I mean, remember, Paul is in prison. And he's in prison in Rome. He's been in prison a couple times. You know, he's been arrested, gotten back out. In fact, when he went to Philippi, we talked about it last week, Acts chapter 16. When he first went to Philippi, which is 10, 12 years before this letter, he was preaching the gospel. People got upset. They threw him in jail. He was only there overnight. And God did a miracle about setting him free. But he's been in jail before, been in prison before, but this time, when he writes this letter, he's in prison in Rome and was there for probably about two years. We don't know when in there that he was writing these letters. Um, But anyway, he could be so self-focused. But while he's in the prison, he's thinking about other people. All right, And that's going to be one of the things we're going to see in this letter, too, that we shouldn't always just be thinking about ourselves. We should think about and care about other people. And so that is a piece of advice he even brings into this Thanksgiving at the beginning, that we should think of others thankfully. All right? We see in this passage, these couple of verses, he talks about things from the past, things from the present, and things from the future. So on your note sheet there, letter A, I have down, think about the past positively. Think about the past positively. You know, whatever relationships that you have, if you think back on that relationship, you could probably come up with some negative things that have happened in that relationship. And then hopefully you can come up with a lot of positive things too. And the quality of our relationship really comes down to a lot of which one we spend the most time focusing on. Now, we don't have any evidence or anything written in Acts or in this letter that Paul had any negative experiences with the people at Philippi, but he did have some negative experiences in Philippi, right? I mean, I already mentioned that a riot broke out and they arrested him, put him in prison. But not only that, but they beat him before they put him in there. And then he was basically asked to leave town. All right. He was humiliated in the process. And it would have been so easy for him as he thought back to the Philippians and Philippi to think, oh, yeah, that was that place where that happened. All right. But he didn't. 
That's not what he's focused on here. What are some of the positive things that happened in Philippi? I know we didn't read it tonight, but we did last week. In Acts chapter 16, what are some of the positive things that happened in Philippi? Those of you that might remember. What did you say, Sharon? Oh, a lot of people. Yeah, gave their hearts to Jesus during that time. There was a young lady who was demon-possessed and used to tell fortunes, and she was delivered of the demon, and she got saved. What else? How about when they were locked up in prison and they were, uh, you know, singing and praising God at midnight and God sent the earthquake and uh, set them free? The jailer got saved. Yeah. What'd you say? And his entire household. And it all started out because Paul met this lady who was a lover of God but didn't know about Jesus and he introduced her to Jesus. So there are all kinds of great things that had happened in this visit, this, this time that he spent in Philippi, and the church was established in spite of all the negative. And in the same way as we look at our relationships, whatever negative might be there, we're going to be a lot better off, especially if we want to build that relationship and strengthen that relationship by focusing more on the positive. In fact, later on in this letter, Paul's going to tell us in Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's not always easy. You know, I put this on your note sheet here. I put, remember the best and forget the rest. Now, in general, that's a good principle. Now, keep in mind, if you've got somebody who's abused you, taken advantage of you, broken your trust, you don't want to just forget that because, you know, you don't want to... You know, not forgive them either, but I'm just saying you don't want that to happen all over again because you chose to just totally forget about it. But in general, in our relationships, we need to remember the best and just forget the rest. So we think about the past positively. Think about the present joyfully. Think about the present joyfully. He says here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Why does he have this joy? Because he remembers, and not just remembers the past, but right now, their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, you know what? From the very beginning, you were partners with me in the gospel, and not just in the beginning, but all along the way, all the way up till right now. Now, I didn't mention it tonight, but does anybody remember one of the main reasons that Paul is writing them right now? Writing the Philippians, something had happened. And he said, I gotta write the Philippians. What'd you say? Yeah, they sent him an offering. Okay? And they sent the offering to support him in what he was doing. But we find as we look at the history of the church at Philippi that they had sent offerings a number of times. And not only that, but you might remember the story how in the middle of Paul's ministry that the church in Jerusalem and Judea, the home church, you know, of Christianity, was going through a tough time because of a famine. And Paul, God laid it upon Paul's heart to collect an offering from all the churches that he had founded to help the church back in Jerusalem. And Philippi is one of those that he mentioned specifically that they didn't have any money, but they wanted to give anyway. And out of their need... They gave. In fact, he didn't even ask them to give. They asked if they could have the privilege of giving to that need. And that brings joy to Paul's heart. And the fact is that they've just continued 
They've sent money to him every once in a while, and now they have again. And so he's writing this letter to say thank you, along with other things. But we find that he's not just thankful for their offering. He's thankful for them. Okay? He's thankful for their partnership. He's thankful that they're involved together. And he's concerned about their needs, too. You know, I can think of a a modern example. If you've ever had the privilege of knowing a missionary more than just kind of meeting them at church and say, hey, that's a great missionary, I'll pray for him, whatever, but actually develop a relationship with them, you know, and and, and you support them and you pray for them and you feel like, well, we're partners together, but it's it's more than just, well, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to give to you, but I have a relationship with you and I care about everything that's going on in your life and that's the way the Philippians were for Paul. And so that brought a lot of thanksgiving and joy to him as he thought about them. But he was thankful and joyful for the gift, but not just because he got money and he needed it. In fact, he tells them in this letter that he was thankful because of the benefit they would receive. In Philippians 4.17, he says, he's talking about the gift that they had sent. He says, but it's not that I'm seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, you're going to benefit from this. God's going to bless you because of your involvement. All right? And then the third thing, think about the future confidently. As you think about your relationship with others, they come to mind, think about the future confidently. And again, sometimes that can be difficult. It probably wasn't for Paul in this case because they had a great relationship. But maybe you've known some people and you've thought about their future and it's like, I don't know if they're going to make it. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they're going to amount to much. All right. But we see in Paul's example here that he is thinking about the future confidently. In verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the great promises that we have in God's word, not just from Paul to the Philippians, but for our lives too, because it's a principle that's true for all of God's people. He says, I know that the good work God started in you, he's going to bring to completion. Now, what do you think that good work is? I mean, it doesn't say specifically here, but from what you know about this letter, what you know about the Philippians, we've talked about it tonight, what do you think that good work might be? What did you say, Janet? Telling others. others. Yeah, he's been talking about the gospel and the work he's been doing. They've been partners together. And, you know, the work that they're probably doing in their own church, he says, what you guys have started, God's going to bring it to fruition, you know? You know, he may have been thinking to his mind, in his mind, you know, I started the church there because God sent me there. And, you know, you guys have been founded for 10 years now and good things are happening. And God's going to bring even more good out of it. He's going to finish what he started. Okay, what else could be involved in that good work that's been started that God will make sure it's finished? Okay, their relationship, the fellowship and the joy. Okay, think of your own personal life. What are some good works that might be in your life that it's like God's going to bring a conclusion to it? Or, or complete it. Chris? Yeah. That's a good point. In fact, I was going to ask a question to lead that way in just a little bit. You know, God created us for a purpose. God knew us before, is that old saying, we were a twinkle in our parents' eye, whatever. <laughs> Chris mentioned he knew us in the womb, which is biblical, obviously, from Jeremiah. And he has a plan and purpose for us. And he will complete that, but we've got to do our part, which is what Chris said. You know, we have to... Follow his leading. We have to do what he asks us to do. Okay? Um, And so that will be brought to completion. Our own personal growth, our own personal maturity, and whatever God calls us to do in this life. And I like the way he puts it here. He says that God began the good work in you. 
you know, uh, Chris mentioned um, that we, he created this for these good works. Um, it's not on my note sheet because I didn't think about that when I made up the notes. But if, if you want to write it down, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, that's that passage that talks about how it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of our works, lest anybody would boast, but that God created us with good works in mind that we're supposed to do. Okay? And so Paul says very confidently, says, I am confident what God has started in you and through you as individuals, but also as a church, he's going to bring it about. And that can be good news for us because our future is not just up to us. Now, to a degree it is because if we oppose or resist God all along the way, we won't be able to do all the stuff that God has planned to do in and through us. But if we're willing to be cooperated, to cooperate with him, we don't have to worry about our shortcomings. We don't have to worry about our lack of resources. Because if it's part of God's plan for us, he will make up the difference. All right? And we can be confident. I mean, we're talking about our relationship with other people. We want to be as confident as possible in our relationship with other people. But we can be confident about our own future. All right? So when we talk about this, I've got two little sub-bullet points there. Number one, God's work in you will be completed if you follow him, if you cooperate with him. And, and I just felt led when I made these notes up this afternoon to just pause here for just a moment and ask you, not to ask, answer out loud, where does this impact you tonight? To know that God's work in you will be completed. What is it that you've been wrestling with that you feel is part of God's plan for you or God's purpose for you or something God wants to do in you or through you, but you've been wondering, will it really happen? Well, God's promise is that if it really is from God, you cooperate with him, it will be completed. Maybe not exactly like you think it will. Maybe not exactly in the time frame you think. But you don't have to worry about whether you really have it in you or whether you have the resources or whether you have the abilities or whatever. God will give you or lead you to whatever you need to fulfill whatever he's called you to do or whatever he's called you to be. Because it might be a being thing, not just a doing thing. You may feel like, I don't know that I'll ever be that man of God. God, I think God has called me. I don't know if I'll ever be that woman of God or, or that mother or that whatever it is that you're wrestling with. I just, I just felt like God wanted me to pause right here and say that. Surrender it to God. Make sure you're on his path. Do what he calls you to do, and it will be completed. It may take a while. But then some of us need to hear the second bullet point. We need to be patient with God's work in others. Okay? You know, uh, we may feel like, God, I need people to be patient with me because I'm trying as hard as I can. But we look at other people, it's like, why can't they get with the program? <laughs> I've told them so many times. I've tried to help them so much. I, you know, they should be farther along than they are right now. Parents can really relate to that part. Anyway, but we need to be patient with God's work and others. God is at work. And we need to pray for them that they'll get with the program. Because it's not just because they're not getting with God's program, all right? They're resisting it, okay? But again, just to ask Gently, lovingly, for something for you to pray about. Who have you been impatient with? Don't point. Don't say it out loud. But who have you been impatient with? Okay. 
That doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility, depending on the relationship, to be an encouragement and a challenge, maybe a little bit, that kind of stuff. But who have you been impatient with? And you need to be patient with God's work and other people. Okay. Before we move on to the second one, and by the way, the first one is the longest one, but before we move on to the second one, remember, Paul is thinking. You know, we're talking about thoughts. We're talking about thinking of others thankfully. Paul is thinking of them thankfully. Just a little bit more self-reflection. How do others think about you? Do people, when they think of you, do they think thankfully? Is that what first comes to mind? Okay. As I mentioned before, Paul had several other churches that brought a lot of pain and just a little bit of joy, perhaps, if we were to look at circumstances. All right. But for the Philippian church, it was all joy. So be thinking about that. How do people think about you and why is that? Why is that? All right, so think about others thankfully or think of others thankfully. The second point is care for others deeply. Care for others deeply. Now, this is no surprise. I mean, all through the Old Testament, um, and Jesus reiterated and Paul reiterated that everything that God wants us to do is summed up in two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, And so we need to care for others deeply. I'm going to reread verses 7 and 8 because it's been a little while. Paul goes on from what we've already looked at. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he's talking about his head, his thoughts. Now he's talking about his heart. All right? His feelings. All right? He uses this word feel. It's right for me to feel this way. That word is used 23 times in this letter. But he's not just talking about emotions. All right? Remember, I shouldn't say remember. You might remember, if you've heard this teaching before, that a person's heart in the Bible is a little bit different than we think of the heart today. When we talk about somebody's heart today, we think primarily of just emotions. In biblical times, the heart was not just the seed of the emotions, but it was the seed of the will, of your strength, of your character. So if somebody, you know, talked about their heart and how they felt in their heart toward you, it wasn't just how they felt about you, but it was their commitment to you, all right? It was their intentions towards you, their desire for what's best for you, all right? And so, um, anyway, Paul's talking about this special concern he has for the Philippians, that's based on what's best for them, this sincere love, this heartfelt commitment, all right? Now, how many of you have discovered, or am I the only one, that not everybody is easy to love? All right? Some people are, like all you guys here. I know everybody here tonight is easy to love, but we all know there's some people out there, right, that are not always easy to love. If we're talking about growing in our love for others, how can we do that? What are some things that we can do to help us love people better that are not as lovable as other people are. What are some things that we can do? Ask God for help. That's very well. We can ask God for help anything for anything that is difficult for us to do. What else can we do? What else can we do? Chris. Okay, love God more, and that will help us. And it certainly is biblical, a lot of teaching in the New Testament that We need to, however that works out, to allow God's love to come through us. We need to love them with God's love. Okay? 
Okay, so keep in mind from what you're saying, you know, sometimes we're hard to love. So if we think about that fact, that may give us a little bit more grace. Is your husband saying you are? (laughs) Surely not. He's probably saying, yeah, honey, I know I am, right? That's what he was saying. Anyway, yeah, no, if we keep in mind that sometimes we're hard to love, but God loves us anyway. Other people love us anyway. That, that may give us a little bit more grace to love others. Yeah, Amanda. Put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. That's right. If God can love us that much in spite of, then we can love others in spite of. And that's the same principle behind forgiveness. You know, God tells us to forgive others. It's like, well, how can I forgive them? Well, it's because God already forgave you so much. And if God was willing to forgive you, <laughs> then you need to be willing to forgive other people. And that's just one small part of love, but all the area of love, okay? Well, Paul, all these things are very true, and they're all biblically based. But there are three specific things that Paul mentions here that is the basis of this care and this love that he has for the Philippians. And I think the same things can be true for us, too, all right? Um, things that we experience together. In fact, um, let me find the word here. When it says, for you are partakers, okay, there's another word that he uses a lot in this book um, that's translated a couple different ways, and that word is koinonia. Perhaps you've heard that before. That word can also be translated fellowship. It basically means things that we experience together, all right? And there are things that we experience together that can add to, help us amplify our love for other people. The first one, letter A on your note sheet, is our shared experience of God's grace. Our shared experience of God's grace. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, share together of, with me, of grace. Okay? Uh, I have down here to ask, in what ways do you experience God's grace? But you guys have already answered that. You know, in his love for us. And his forgiveness of us, all right? The fact that he's willing to save us, even though we're not worthy of it, we don't deserve it. Um, But we also experience God's grace in other areas when he gives us the strength we need in difficult circumstances. Paul mentions specifically some of the things he's going through, that he's in prison. But God's grace has been there to help him, all right? And he knows that the Philippians have gone through some difficult things too, and it's because we've experienced God's grace that helps our love to grow for each one another. He said, that's, that's one of the reasons I love you so much, because we've experienced so much together. We've experienced God's work so much together. We've experienced God's grace so much together. Letter B, our shared experience in ministry. Our shared experience in ministry. You know, he's already talked about them being partners in the gospel. You know, they've helped out by sending him offerings, but also praying for him, caring about him. You know, there's no telling what all that they did to help build the church while he was still in Philippi and carry on that ministry once he left. All right. But he mentions here also uh, when he says, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He, he words this in such a way that, you know, I'm here because of ministry. And we're going to find out as we read the next section next week that he's still doing ministry in prison. Even in prison, when he's like, i got to appear before the Roman court, whatever, he's still working on ministry, all right? But he writes this in such a way, like, you're here with me. Because of your support, because of your prayers, we're doing this thing together. And perhaps you've experienced this. 
Do you find that when you get involved in ministry with other people, it deepens your relationship with them? And it deepens your love for them. So, you know, a great way to strengthen your relationship with other people is get involved in ministry with them. All right? Okay. And that's not just ministry together to other people, but ministering to one another. Okay? So that strengthens the love. Okay. And then let her see, and this was mentioned already, our shared experience of Christ's affection. I know that overlaps with God's grace because, you know, God's love is manifested through his grace, and his grace is a manifestation of his love and all that kind of stuff. But our shared experience of Christ's affection. He says in verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it goes back to what one of you all said, because you guys have had so many good answers. I can't remember who said which one. Of letting God's love flow through us. Okay? And it goes back to what Sharon said about asking God to help us. It's like, God, I'm having a hard time loving this person, so would you love them through me? Okay? Love them through me. Um, I like this quote. It says, It was not Paul's love channeled through Christ, but Christ's love channeled through Paul. The little sub-note or extra note I have on your note sheet is let God's love flow through you. And can I tell you, this, this isn't something Paul wrote, but it certainly is something that we see in God's example and Jesus' example and in teaching in the Bible. That one of the best ways you can grow in love with somebody, grow in your love for someone, and I'm not talking romantic love, all this is true too, is just begin to treat them the right way and, and do what's good and best for them, even if they don't deserve it, even if they don't appreciate it. Okay? In fact, we've talked about this before that biblical love is not all about feelings. It involves feelings, and thank God for the feelings, but it's commitment. It's commitment to what's best for the other person. So I mention that because we talk about that thing I just told you, let God's love flow through you. How do you let God's love? That sounds so beautiful and spiritual, but what does that really mean? What that really means is you just start treating people the right way, whether you want to, whether they deserve it or whatever. You just do what's best. That's letting God's love flow because that's how God loves us. That's how God loves us. So to summarize this section, it would be like grow in love by giving grace to others like God gave you, by working together for God's purposes, and by loving others as Christ has loved you. All right? Now we get to the actual prayer part. Number three, pray for others wisely. Pray for others wisely. Now, I'm going to jump back up to verse four because that's where he first mentions prayer. Um, let me just read three to lead into it because it's the second half of the sentence. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. So uh, another thing I'll point out here, it's not on your note sheet, that it seems like every time the Philippians are coming to Paul's mind, he starts praying. That's a good habit to get into. Whenever you think about something, pray for them. Doesn't have to be an hour-long prayer, but pray for them. But when we get down to verse 9, we see the content of his prayer. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul talks about how he's always praying. Okay? And he mentions that in almost all his letters. He says, you know, as I'm thinking about you, I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying for you. Praying for you often. 
He's always praying for himself and for others. And we start off with the question, what are the things that we usually pray for other people? And we admitted that often for ourselves. It's for our needs or our felt needs, right? Healing. Now, there's some spiritual answers in there too. You know, salvation and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to, well, I want us to be challenged by Paul's example that we see not only in Philippians, but as other letters, and it's on your note sheet, pray for spiritual needs, not just material needs. Pray for spiritual needs, not just the physical, not just the financial. Perhaps you've noticed, if you've been around long enough, that sometimes when I pray over needs, I'll also add something like, God, we've got our list, and here's what we'd like to see you do, and that's okay because you tell us to bring our list to you. But God, you've got your list. What do you want to see done in my life? You know, do that. Even if I don't like it. That's getting honest and something we may not want to pray. You know, God, if you see something that needs to happen in my life and I don't like the process, just do it anyway, I guess. I mean, that'd be the way we feel, right? Do it anyway. Yeah, Felix. Yeah, financial can be a spiritual need too. Yeah. All right. So, you know, pray that God's will be done. All right. In fact, most of the time on Wednesday nights when I open up in prayer, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, you probably notice I say, Lord, may you be glorified tonight. May what you want to have happen in our Bible study happen tonight. And help us to willingly be involved in that and be open to that. All right? And um, so pray for spiritual needs, not just material. And as I mentioned earlier in our study tonight, if you want to really learn how to pray in a biblical way for more than just physical and material needs, study the prayers of Paul. Now, I could be wrong. In fact, I hope you'll take me up on this challenge this week to go back and read the prayer of Paul, prayers of Paul in the beginning of his letters. I don't think there's a single place in any of the prayers of Paul that he writes in his letters where he asks God to heal anybody. Nothing wrong with asking God to heal anybody. In fact, the Bible teaches us to ask for healing. Jesus healed a bunch of people. But you almost always see Paul praying about things that last forever. Ever, not just temporary. Okay? Again, there's nothing wrong with praying for our needs. God wants us to do that. God loves us and he wants to meet our needs. But let's focus more on the eternal things. And so there's a couple of them here in the letter, in this letter. And if you read Paul's prayers, you're going to see these same things in a lot of his prayers. And as I mentioned before, these are going to be some of the things he's going to be talking to them about in this letter. He's basically telling them, listen, i got some things I need to talk to you about, but I've already been praying about it. Okay? Letter A, pray for growth in love. I deliberately worded this kind of um, neutral that I could be talking about this is how we should pray for other people, but it's also how we should pray for ourselves. We need to pray for growth in love. We need to pray for growth in love for the people that we're praying for. But we need to pray for growth in love in ourselves. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I like what Paul said to the Thessalonians. I didn't put the reference in here. He says, you know what? You guys are known all over your area for your love. But he doesn't say this, but there's more room for improvement. In other words, you can love even more. And I think that's true for all of us. I I know I haven't gotten it perfect yet. But pray for growth in love. Love for who? Well, love for God, love for others. All right. Letter B, pray for wisdom to make good choices. 
after talking about praying for your love to abound more and more, he says, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. All right? He talks about knowledge. And I don't think he's just talking about, I need to know more information. It could include that. But knowing God more and better, knowing his truth and his ways better. And he says, I'm praying that you not only grow in knowledge, but discernment. What is discernment? And how is it different from knowledge? Okay. Discernment is a, a practical, is knowing the difference between right and wrong. Okay. It's being able to discern, to know the difference between two different things. And it's not just right and wrong, but sometimes it's between what's good and what's better and what's best. In fact, that, that, that idea is here. He says, so you may approve what is excellent. I think what he's trying to say is, you know, at this basic level, you need to pray for discernment so you can avoid what's wrong and do what's right. But even better, so you can know what's the best thing to do in every situation. All right? Not just a good thing, but what's the best thing? What's the most excellent? He says, approve what is excellent. To really know what matters. So we need to pray for ourselves and for others. Pray for wisdom to make good choices. Have you ever, though, known what the right choice was and you didn't do it? Why? No, I'm saying you already know what the right... Yeah, you make a poor choice, but why do you make the poor choice when you know what the right choice is? Because it's hard? What did you say, Amanda? Immaturity. Okay. Yeah, usually because I don't want to. It's hard. <gasps> because it's my will. You know, I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't want to do it. For whatever reason. Because it's hard or whatever. All right? So, that's why we go to letter C. Pray for the desire and the ability to do the right thing. Okay? That's why, again, if you're around very much when I'm praying, you know, you may hear me pray, Lord... Show us what the right thing is to do. And Lord, when we know what the right thing is to do, help us to do it because sometimes it's hard. There's so many times I pray in general, in a congregational prayer for specific, Lord, help them to know what the right thing is. But Lord, help them to do it because it's a hard thing to do. I pray for myself. Lord, I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't want to do it. It's too hard. I'm too tired. Help me to do. Help me to want to do the right thing. So this is where you got to start. You know, Lord, I know what the right thing is, but help me to want to do it. Because, anyway, you know, there's a place, I forget where it is, it maybe even in Philippians, where Paul talks about praying for God to work in us to both will and to work. And the will part is to, to want to do the right thing. But we know that Paul wrestled with it, right? In, in, in Romans, was it 6 or 7, where he talks about that wrestling match he's always involved in with himself. Yeah. I know what the right thing is to do, but then there's something in me that wants to do the wrong thing. That's right. You know, and the deliverance comes through Jesus Christ. That's right. So pray for the desire and ability to do the right thing. And we see that in the passage here that if we do what we've already talked about, knowledge and discernment, so you can approve what's excellent, the end result, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. So If we do the right thing, then we can be pure, blameless, and filled with righteousness. And the last one, letter D, pray for a life that results in God's glory. Pray for a life that results in God's glory. He wraps it all up by saying, to the glory and praise of God. Um, After I prepared the notes and stuff, I thought of what Jesus said 
in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your light so shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That we live in such a way that people see what we're doing, but they realize it's not just us, it's God. And it brings glory to God. So, again, these are good things to pray for others, and it'll help build our relationship. You know, the more you pray for others, the more you'll love them. And maybe the more patience God will give you for them. You know, I mean, unless you pray one of these prayers like, God, get a hold of them because they're such a mess. And <laughs> Sometimes they need a prayer like that, maybe. But, uh, you know, if you pray in love and concern for them, God will help that love and concern to grow. So, as I said, we're going to see some of these themes come up again and again as we go through this letter. Because before Paul talked to them about the concerns he has, he's talking to God about the Philippians. And that's good advice for us, too. If God leads us to talk to somebody about some concerns we have or whatever, and he might, and we need to be willing and open to that, we need to pray about it first. We need to pray about it first. So as we wrap this all up, we've talked about thoughts. We've talked about our hearts. We've talked about our prayers. Who do you have in your thoughts or in your heart or in your prayers? And when you do, what do you focus on when they're there? Is it positive or is it negative? Probably a mixture. Okay. How well do you love others? And how often do you pray for others? And what do you pray for? Hopefully the lesson tonight has challenged all of us, myself included, to be maybe a little bit more biblical about all that. And it will help us to grow in our relationship with other people and love them more. And be used by God to influence their lives more. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had tonight to look at your word here in Philippians. God, I pray that we would be open to the challenges you've laid before us and how we relate to other people, what we think about when we think of them, how we love them, how we manifest and demonstrate that love, how we pray for others, what we pray about. Help us all to grow more mature. And God, we need it ourselves. Help us to grow in love, Lord. Help us to have wisdom, to make the right choices. And Lord, give us that desire and ability to do the right thing when we know what it is. And God, may you be glorified by every area and aspect of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.